You've survived another week. Thank you for listening, downloading, and supporting the Black Man with a Gun Show. You know, gun control in America is and has always been about controlling a group of people. We are a nation and descendants of indigenous people, immigrants, refugees, and emancipated slaves. Who is and was persecuted changes every generation. This week, I want to share with you what was behind the Sullivan Law. I got an interview with Carrie Lightfoot of the Well-Armed Woman and the Woman's Gun Show podcast. Michael Woodland talks about selecting a range for membership. This week on episode 515 of the Black Man with a Gun Show. This is the Conscientious Weekly Podcast that talks about firearms and things of interest to the gun community. Don't let the name scare you. This is the pro-fun, pro-gun show with history, commentary, news, interviews from all over America. Hi, my name is Ken Blanchard and I've been a gun rights activist since 1991. And you just discovered the show with over 1.7 million downloads with celebrity guests, new products, and good people making a difference. After John Wayne leads us in the Pledge of Allegiance, let's get this party started. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Last week I talked about the Irish immigration and the connections it had to law enforcement and fire departments in the New York area. But as history reminds us, the downtrodden don't stay down long in America. This week I want to bring you the origins of the Sullivan Act. It's a gun control law that started in New York State. It took effect in 1911. And before you can say, why does that matter? Because it's still the basis and still law for many of the places that can't carry concealed right now. Upon first passage, the Sullivan Act required licenses for New Yorkers to possess firearms small enough to be concealed. Sounds familiar, right? Possession of such firearms without a license was a misdemeanor, and carrying them with it was a felony. The act was named for its primary legislative sponsor, State Senator Timothy Sullivan, a notoriously corrupt, to many, Hall politician. For handguns, the Sullivan Act qualifies as a may-issue act, meaning the local police have discretion to issue a concealed carry license, as opposed to a shall-issue act in which state authorities must give a concealed handgun license to any person who satisfies specific criteria, often a background check and a safety class. So just in case somebody asks you the difference between a may issue and a shall issue, now you know. So last week, the downtrodden were the Irish immigrants who came over from the Irish potato famine. But now, there's a rise of politicians. And with power comes corruption. Back then, it was a group called the Tammany Society, or Tammany Society. It was a democratic political organization in New York City, founded in 1789 as a fraternal benevolent society, and was run by men like Big Tim Sullivan. He was a master of street-level retail politics, reliably turning out voters by giving them free Christmas dinners and jobs on the city payroll. He helped maintain the Irish grip on Tammany Hall, but incorporated Jews and Italians into the machine as shifting immigration patterns transformed the ethnic landscape of New York City politicians. He clashed with the likes of Theodore Roosevelt, who viewed him as a relic of an old political machines, even though he supported gun control and women's right to vote. Timothy D. Sullivan, known as Big Tim or Big Fella, was one of the city's most powerful politicians in the first decade of the 20th century. His influence vastly greater than his formal titles as state assemblyman, congressman, state senator would suggest. I believe it is penal code number 400 in New York state law that talks about the Sullivan Act. And just like today, after a high profile crime, laws will be enacted. Won't change anything. Won't bring back that person who was murdered. But it happens anyway. On January 23rd, 1911. A novelist, a rich guy, David Graham Phillips, was shot by Fitzhugh Coyle Goldsboro 
in a brazen early afternoon attack on East 21st Street, today known as Gramercy Park North. After firing six shots, Goldsboro put the gun to his own temple and killed himself. Phillips survived until the next evening. A man by the name of George Petit Labrou, who worked in the city's coroner's office, was moved to action. It is said in his autobiography, I reasoned that the time had come to have legislation passed that would prevent the sale of pistols to irresponsible persons. In that vernacular of the day, he said, there ought to be a law. He sent letters to prominent New Yorkers urging them for support for a law, whereby a person having a revolver in his possession, either concealed or displayed, unless for some legitimate purpose, could be punished by a severe prison sentence, he told the New York Times in 1911. Then he went on to contact Big Tim Sullivan, the Tammany Hall boss. Sullivan had already been on record as pledging to introduce legislation that placed restriction on guns. He says, the gun toter and the tough man. I don't want his vote, he said in his 1910 campaign. There are a lot of good law-abiding people on the Lower East Side. They don't like to have the red badge of shame waved over the part of that part of the city. They have no sympathy for the tough men, the men who tote guns and use them far too frequently. But that was his pledge. The incident that actually happened was a mentally ill person, somebody we'd probably call paranoid schizophrenic today. In his diary, Goldsboro grumbled that the author was inhabiting his mind and reading his thoughts. Phillips was concerned enough to talk to police about the hostile notes that this guy sent. And the last one said, this is your last day. But the writer did not alter his routine as he walked the few blocks from his Gramercy Park apartment to the Princeton Club where he was shot and killed. So let me recap something for you. The Sullivan Act was passed based on the pleadings of concerned citizens that one of theirs had been killed by a mentally ill person. The law went into effect on August 31st, 1911, and resulted from political pressure from these prominent New Yorkers, including Sullivan, in the form of letters and recommendations from that guy from the coroner's office. But the gangs and the, and the toughs that uh, Big Tim Sullivan was talking about, they worked for him. The Democratic machine used them as sluggers, enforcing discipline at the polls and intimidating the opposition. Gang leaders like Monk Eastman were even employed as informal, quote, sheriffs, keeping their turf under Tamani control. In addition to handguns, the Sullivan Act prohibits the possession or carrying of weapons such as brass knuckles, sandbags, blackjacks, bludgeons, or bombs, as well as possessing or carrying a dagger, dangerous knife, or razor, with the intent to use the same unlawfully and violation of any of these prohibitions is a felony. In New York State, apart from New York City, the practices for issuance of concealed carry licenses vary from county to county. In New York City, the licensing authority is the police department, which rarely issues carry licenses to anybody except retired police officers or those who can describe why the nature of their employment, for example, a diamond merchant who regularly carries gemstones, a district attorney, who regularly prosecutes dangerous criminals, etc., requires carrying a concealed handgun. Critics of the law have alleged that New Yorkers with political affluence, wealth, and celebrity status appear to be issued licenses more liberally. Now, for all my brothers and sisters who have a concealed carry permit, let me tell you about those who do not. In the city of New York, the Big Apple, getting a handgun, just getting it, not even talking about the concealed carry permit, is a two-step process. First, applicants must obtain a license, which cost $340. And this was back in 2011. It might have changed. It takes about 12 weeks to process. This is good for three years and requires a background check by the New York Police Department. In addition, fingerprinting costs about $100. Those who pass this hurdle must then get a purchase authorization from the police for the particular weapon they intend to buy. One handgun license may list up to 25 weapons. So far, no one has tried to register more than that, according to officials. But buyers must wait 90 days between purchases. Of the 41,164 handguns registered with the police department as of June 14, 2011, including those owned by more than 2,400 people who live outside the city, but have permission to bring the weapons there. People like uh, the president of Fox News, uh, John Mack, Chairman of Morgan Stanley and Sean Hannity. There are eight kinds of handgun licenses in New York, one of which is for dealers. 
The most common restricts the weapons to the owner's home, but others allow license holders, including security guards, gun custodians, and people who demonstrate a need for protection to carry weapons. Thankfully, there's about 14,602 retired police officers who are licensed to have a firearm. But wait, there's more. Many believe that this act, the Sullivan Act, was actually to discriminate against immigrants in New York, particularly Italians, as the first person convicted under the law was an Italian immigrant named Marino Rossi, who was traveling to a job interview and carrying a revolver for fear of the black hand, also known as the Mafia. At his sentencing, the judge declared, quote, It is unfortunate that this is the custom with you and your kind, and that fact, combined with your irascible nature, furnishes much of the criminal business in this country. Prior to Marino's arrest, others had been arrested under the new law, but were released without charges. Whether this was part of the law's intent, it was passed on a wave of anti-immigrant rhetoric as a measure to disarm an alleged criminal element. The police department, who granted the licenses, could easily discriminate against, quote, undesirable elements. Days before the law took effect, New York Times published an article saying low-browed foreigners bargained for weapons of every description and gloated over their good fortune in hearing of the drop in the gun market before it was too late. After Rossi's conviction, the New York Times called this, quote, warning to the Italian community, both, quote, timely and exemplary. New York City historian George Alakovich stated that the act was passed so that Sullivan could have friends in the police force plant handguns on his rivals and take them to jail. Big Tim needed to rein in the gangs without completely crippling them. He disarmed them and ordinary citizens while still keeping them on the streets. In fact, he gave the game away during the debate on the bill which flew through Albany. He said, I want to make it so that young thugs in my district will get three years for carrying dangerous weapons instead of getting a sentence in the electric chair a year from now. Sullivan knew that gangs would flout the law, but appearances were more important than results. And that, my friends, is the real deal about gun control and laws. Appearances are more important than results. Young toughs took to sewing the pockets of their coats shut so that cops couldn't plant firearms on them and many gangsters stashed the weapons inside their girlfriends' bird cages. It was a wire mesh fashion contraption around which women could wind their hair. Ordinary citizens, on the other hand, were disarmed, which solved another problem. Gangsters had been bitterly complaining to Tanami that their victims sometimes shot back at them. So gang violence didn't drop under the Sullivan Act, and it really took off after the passage of Prohibition in 1920. Big-time gangline fights like the 1932 machine-gunning of Mad Dog Call in a drugstore phone booth in on 23rd Street became the norm. Congressional hearings in the 1950s, followed by the Fed's prolonged assault on the mafia, succeeded in tamping down traditional gangland violence, but guns are still easily available to criminals. Statistics show that after the act passed, that gun murders in New York City had risen 18%. And in closing, Big Tim um, was suffering from tertiary syphilis when uh, he wrote that law in 1911. He went mad soon thereafter and was sent to a sanitarium in 1912. He eventually escaped, but his severed body was found on railroad tracks in the Bronx in August of 1913. Being an armed citizen means having a gun with you all the time. Carrying a firearm every day requires a holster that is both concealable and comfortable. Whether you choose our Super Tuck Deluxe or Mini Tuck, you'll have the confidence that comes from being discreetly and comfortably armed, prepared to face unforeseen dangers. Crossbreed holsters are handmade in the USA, come with a lifetime warranty and a two-week try-it-free guarantee. Order your holster today at CrossbreedHolsters.com. All right, next up is an interview with somebody that I think is pretty special and doing great things in the gun rights community. Like her and others, 
I don't talk to them or share them as much as I should. So I'm going to try to do that, just amplify the heroes within our group, the people who do things, and uh, that's always a good thing. I'm not quite sure where she was, but you can hear the ocean in the background during our conversation. I don't know what the temperature is where you are right now, but imagine having a conversation under a palm tree and listening to this. Carrie Lightfoot, welcome to the show. Well, good morning. Thanks for having me. I listen to you every week at the Women's Gun Show. Before that started, you were involved in the Well-Armed Woman. Tell me about that. How did it get started? Wow. I mean, it's been such a crazy ride since then. Um, It was 2012 is when I started the whole Well-Armed Woman adventure. And it was just out of my own frustration. You know, I was very new to guns, you know, in my middle years. You know, I I did not grow up around them at all. And had so many questions. And when I started taking my own personal protection into my own hands, you know, I just couldn't find, I couldn't find resources. I couldn't find information that answered my questions as a woman. You know, we do have some different questions. And it's a different process, I think, for many women into gun ownership and into self-protectorship, if you will. And so it was, it was not finding what I needed that, you know, caused me to say, you know what? I can't be the only one, and somebody needs to do something, so I just said, I'll do it. So I started the well Armed Woman website in January of 2012. And what's happened since then? Oh, it's been crazy. Um, it has been nonstop uh, from the very, very beginning. Um, I started with a lot of content, you know, just the, the resources and talking about and writing about the issues that I was having and that I think other women struggled with. And so it kind of started with just providing those resources. And then I started carrying products and designing concealed carry holsters for women to kind of meet our needs with how we dress and how we live our lives out. And then within, boy, within the first six months, you know, through social media, it, it created this incredible community of women. And I think women just loved having a place where they could go ask their questions and talk and connect with other women. And then by the end of the first year, it was really clear to me that women, you know, women wanted to shoot more. They wanted to find more comfortable ways to get to the range and shoot. So I started the Well and Women Shooting Chapter Program in January of 2013. And boy, we had so many women step up into the role of leading a chapter in their local area. And since then, you know, we've, we've, added more than 100 a year. So we're at about 350 chapters now across the country. So there's just been this, you know, influx of of women who are curious, who are eager to take on this role effectively. And so, you know, just I'm surrounded by tens of thousands of amazing women self-protectors every day. (laughs) And it's just wonderful. It's a beautiful thing. What's like the top three things that as a guy, we have no clue that matters to you guys. Um, I think, I think for women, just the whole transition into having to protect ourselves is a big difference. And it's a big area where we don't quite think the same. It kind of comes naturally for men. I mean, men, historically men have always been the protectors, right? And so, and women were always the protected. And so that transition of, you know what, you know, my guy's, not going to be there all the time, or maybe I don't have a guy, right? And I'm, and I'm alone or law enforcement can't be there when I need them. So I think, I think part of the emotional, perhaps even spiritual journey of could I, you know, could I take the life of another if I had to? I think that that part of the process is, is significantly different for women. You know, we are life givers. I mean, that's what we were, our creator designed us to be life givers. So I just think there's a little bit of a of a hurdle for many women uh, to to cross into that place where they can really really take on that role of being their own self protector. So I think that's that's a big area. I think just also the understanding of concealed carry and how how do we carry this piece of metal or polymer, whatever it is, on our bodies with you know with how we dress. You know, I mean, a man. A man has a waistband every single day, 
every single day there's a waistband and most of the time there's a belt. You know, it's just the patterns change or the sleeve or the pant, you know, whether they're shorts or pants. But for women, you know, we wear so many different clothing styles. And so the issues around our bodies and our clothing, I think, are, are something else that's, that's different for us. Man, so it just goes to the fact that we wear a belt all the time. I didn't even thought about that. <laughs> well, you guys do. You guys always have that waistband and, you know, with dresses and skirts and stretch pants. And a lot of women don't wear belts. Um, uh, you know, just creates some, some unique challenges, I think, that, that, uh, that women have to overcome to effectively and safely carry concealed. Hmm. Has there been any pushback, any negatives for doing this stuff? I mean, a women's only kind of thing? Yeah, no, actually there hasn't been. The, the industry has been so welcoming, and believe it or not, even the media. Uh, there's a, naturally, there's kind of this fascination of women in guns, and, you know, through the program, of chapter program, and just the company itself, we do get a lot of media attention. And, you know, thankfully I can say that, that they've all been positive or at least neutral in, in, in just exploring this, you know, this curiosity of, of, of women carrying and shooting and owning guns. Um, so it's been, we've had very, very little, I think I had one crazy, you know, one crazy kind of come after me, but you know, for four years, that's, that's not too bad in this industry. I feel pretty, pretty, pretty blessed for, to not have a, dealing with a lot of negative. And you met by crazy, a crazy <laughs> woman or a stalker? No, more like a stalker. Yeah, somebody who thought I should use my firearm on myself instead of training women to use one. But with no harm done. Wow, I can handle it. I can handle it. So with but the, you know, go ahead. All these chapters. All these chapters. What are you guys teaching? A variety of things. We really look at self-defense kind of holistically. So we cover, you know, everything from unarmed self-defense, you know, through the proper usage, shooting, storage of a firearm. We have a different topic each month. So the ladies will, will meet and they'll dis- discuss that in the classroom. And then the second portion of the meeting is on the range training. And we try to keep that topical, you know, so that whatever the topic was in the classroom, that they transition to the range and train, you know, something that's appropriate for whatever that topic was. But, you know, we, we cover really anything that women have questions about. You know, um, just a, we have great guests that come in. We'll have law enforcement come in or a lawyer. So the, the local laws is always a, a very popular and important topic for them. Uh, but really just about, you know, we talk about keeping our homes safe, you know, the kind of, you know, uh, you know, lighting and how we can keep keep our homes and make them less appealing, you know, to invasion or robbery. So we, we really do look at it comprehensively and try to educate women on every level of self-protection, situational awareness, all that. Hmm. I think I cut you off before you was getting ready to say something. What, what was that? Um, I might, I don't remember. I think I was just still talking about the media uh-huh. and, um, I, I think that because our focus at the Well and Women Group is self-protection, but that's one of those areas where it's difficult for the press or perhaps even politicians or, you know, anti-gunners to kind of come up against that because nobody wants to be, you know, telling a woman she can't protect herself or she doesn't have the right to protect herself. So I think because of the nature of what we do, in a way, I think that kind of shields us a little bit from some of the more typical, very negative media attention that firearms can can bring. Hmm. Are there firearms that are like no-goes for you guys that you just will never look at? No. No, I mean, I think we, we try to introduce... The, the ladies to all different platforms. You know, um, ARs are becoming really, really, really popular with women, and they're they're loving them. And shotguns, and you know, we're doing some long range, so we're trying to introduce them to all the different disciplines. Because what happens is, most women once they start shooting, and primarily they kind of come in with a handgun in mind, you know, for that concealed carry kind of self protection. But once they get introduced into the other platforms, they love it. 
And so many will move into hunting or they'll move into competitive shooting or skeet, you know, and things like that, which is, which is great, which is great. They, they're very open to learning about all different types of firearms. Have you guys stepped on anybody else's toes? I mean, there's a whole bunch of folks trying to do the exact same thing, maybe. Um. I mean, we could. I mean, I don't, you know, my, my, I'm just a workhorse. So I'm all about working and getting things done. So my focus is always on what we're doing and how we can do it better. So I don't really pay that much attention to what others are doing. Um, I'm very, uh, I mean, my, the more women are shooting, the better. So I don't look at anything or what anyone else is doing as competition because it isn't because we're all working on the same thing. And the more women are shooting, the better. So if there's other groups out there or other, you know, uh, programming, then let's get it in. Let's get them into that. So we work closely with a lot of the other, you know, like the NSSF and um, NRA, USCCA, just to help move women into all the programming that they can get into. So if we are, that's, that's kind of their problem, not mine. I just, I just want to do what we do the best we can do it. And that's, I spend every, every day working on what we do and how we can do it better. And I don't really, I kind of see competition as more of a distraction and I just, I don't have time for distraction. I got lots to do. So I might've just named the problem with males right there. That might've just been us. Yeah, (laughs) maybe. Oh, I'm sure there's some in the women's world, but yeah, there's like that phrase alpha male. I don't think I hear alpha female that often. Yeah, but there's some, you know, I think women are much more competitive, I think, than most people maybe really think. We, we, we can be pretty gnarly. So we're not immune from it. Oh, okay. (laughs) I was just wondering, it's like, okay, so we're the, we're the issue. Yeah. I don't know. So what are you selling? At the Well-Armed Woman store? Oh, gosh, we sell, you know, just about any accessory. You know, we don't sell firearms, but we sell just about any accessory that supports a woman shooting. So, I mean, my primary focus is holsters, which is what, you know, is what I spend most of my time either designing or tweaking. Um, about, you know, everything from range bags to magazine loaders, you know, whatever. Whatever tool is helpful to women, then, and it's made well and good quality product then i'll carry it because i want them to have access to whatever they need and to have those options because i think it really is about options women really do like options that's kind of a big we like to have choice it's like picking which candy you want out of the candy box so my mind went straight to yoga pants versus (laughs) versus a belt so you don't we don't have to think about that the the (laughs) How are you carrying, well, you're carrying differently depending on how you're dressed and then what you're doing, right? You do. I mean, women do tend to utilize more than one holster. I mean, I think it's important that the more regular we can be, the better, because we don't have to worry about where the firearm is. So ideally, we find one or two locations and we stick with those, because, you know, if you're carrying in five different locations... It's just it's, you have to train for all of that, and you know on the spot you don't want to be, you don't have that time to figure out oh where am I carrying today you know where is it today, so we want to minimize that, but but clearly just because of our clothing styles we have to have some different options. I mean I'm a I'm a big believer and we train all of our instructors and all of our members that on the body is best, and if they can. You know, we work to solve the waistband problem. So if they're not wearing a belt, we still try to find a concealed carry solution that is in that, I call it the sweet zone, you know, that sweet spot around our middle, just because of, of, of having the great access to the firearm if we need it quickly. So I really see that as the task for all women is to find a concealed carry a solution that is in that zone. And then it's when that doesn't work that we then move to maybe more deep, deeper concealed locations or, you know, even lastly would be an off-body choice, like a concealed carry purse. All right. But I see that as kind of the option when that sweet spot, you know, zone is not possible. Motherhood, how does that jump into it? 
Boy, it does. You know, I was talking earlier about how women are life givers. You know, with that, when we give the life, then then we become, we change. You know, there's that fierce protection of our children. And interestingly, you know, there are many women that will have no difficulty protecting their cub, right? They have no difficulty. It's like, boy, anyone wants to mess with my child, then forget it. But for some, it's different when it's them, which, which is really interesting. I think that's one of those places where women have to really process and be thoughtful and, and work through the emotional side of that. But having children can really trigger the desire to own and shoot and carry a firearm because now they have this child, this precious child that they want to protect. And so that, that can be what, what causes a woman to start thinking about her own self-protection is the birth of a child. Carry options um, while pregnant, or does that ever come up in you guys' stuff? Oh, it does. It's a big topic. Actually, um, Barbara Baird, Women's Outdoor News, and myself put together a three-part uh, kind of uh, resource for pre-pregnancy, pregnancy, and post-pregnancy on dealing with the issues surrounding you know, health issues or concerns and concealed carry. Uh, and uh, actually, the belly band is one of the most popular holsters for women that are pregnant because they can kind of wear it low under their growing belly, and it kind of provides a little support, and it's actually really comfortable. So that's pretty common. But there's usually a lot of questions and challenges, obviously, as your body's changing. That changes everything. You know, cross-draw isn't, doesn't work too well when... You've got a big baby belly to, re- to, you know, to reach around, so some adjustments do need to be made. And then the health issues, you know, the, the exposure to lead and things like that, and you really want to minimize that during pregnancy. How about age for you guys? Is it a young person's group, or are you guys middle-aged, or your seniors? or Where are you guys at in this whole scale? Great question. I mean, we, we, we cover the full spectrum of ages. So we have, you know, college age women and we have women that are in their eighties. We have, I think our oldest member, I think is 87 years old. And so we really, really speak to all women. The, the majority of our customers and our members probably fall in that 35 to 60 range. It's probably the biggest bulk, but we do, we do have, you know, many, many women on both, on both sides of that. I actually just, uh, one of the things that we do is we certify and train female instructors and we train them to teach to the differences between men and women. And we just had a class up in Gunsight a few weeks ago and we had a 71-year-old woman uh, who came through the program and she's now a certified instructor. So to see, to see mature women like that kind of taking on uh, the firearms industry and taking on the training of women, you know, so seriously and so passionately is really a cool thing to see. I think that was, it really impresses me to see, to see women, especially when they're more older, you know, kind of step in and say, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to make a difference. You know, I'm going to start a new career at 71. I just think that that's pretty cool. Training wise, where are you guys getting it from? What do you mean, the uh, training for the instructors? Uh-huh. Uh, we do both. We use the NRA uh, instructor certifications, and so we do one course that is the NRA pistol and the NRA personal protection in the home, again, because our primary focus is personal protection, so that's a natural fit. And then we do the well-armed woman certification, which is the whole differences in how you teach women differently. So that's one kind of package and we're now working with the USCCA and incorporating their instructor program and so we're, we'll be offering both of those that's, that's pretty cool yeah what's the website and the stuff that you can get information about you guys at uh, the website is thewellarmedwoman.com and that really is the hub so you can get everywhere from there you can get to the chapter program you can get to all the products and the content and one of the new things that I've added that I love is reviews written by women. So we have this whole area that is literally hundreds of handgun reviews that are written by regular women. I mean, women like me and you know, 
regular everyday women who share what they like, what they don't like about their, you know, the firearms that they have. And it's a really great resource because so many women, all of us, but women, first, because that's my world, you know, really struggle with that decision of which gun is the right gun for me. You know, how do I, how do I know which gun, right? Such a big question. And so those reviews are just awesome. They're really helpful. So that's a new thing that we started. And then social media, we're everywhere. Our Facebook page is outstanding. We've got tons of amazing women who share and post. And there's always a great dialogue going on there. So that's a great place to connect with other women as well as the Facebook page. What's been some of the, like the high points of, of your journey that happened because you started doing this stuff? Oh, boy. You know, I have to say one of the greatest highlights is which I didn't, I didn't expect, I don't know why I didn't expect it or why I didn't know it was coming, is on the emotional side, seeing and hearing and meeting women whose lives have been transformed. Um, it is just one of the most beautiful things to see is to see a woman kind of take, just take control of her own self-protection. And, you know, we have women who share the stories of how what they've learned at the Well and Women saved their life. I mean, and I didn't, I didn't know how much that was going to affect me. I mean, I'm actually getting emotional just talking about it because it's just so significant to see a woman, a woman just kind of change like that and transform into really a confident self-protector. And, you know, sadly, so many women are victims or have been victims, you know, uh, of, of violence or abuse or someone very close to them has suffered through and to see them kind of overcome their own fears and survive to take, to take their survival and then go farther with that and, and, and empower themselves. It is, that's been one of the absolute greatest joys. And I just, I, I am so grateful that I get to be a witness to it, you know, that I get to see it and be a part of it because it's just, it's really an incredible thing. And um, I think secondly, I would say the people that I've met in this industry, I mean, I came from New York. I came from an art background. I was in the art business, and I worked in the ministry with the homeless. And so coming into the gun culture was foreign to me, and I was in my late 40s at that time. The people in this industry are just the most amazing people. So I've made some of the best friends of my life, you know, in these last few years, just people like yourself and, and Barbara at the Women's Outdoor News are just the most amazing, caring, you know, people of such high integrity. And anyway, it's just a great group of people. And I didn't, I didn't really think that through. I didn't know that that would happen. So I said those are probably the two, the two greatest, I don't know, gifts and surprises from this whole thing that I, that I, that I didn't know was coming, but I'm very grateful for Oh, that's really cool. Thank you yeah. for that. Yeah. It's if, true. Aside from sharing like the actual names and stuff, can you share a story that somebody, it transformed them? Oh, I can. There was um, a couple. Uh, but one that comes to mind is, was at one of our chapter meetings, and they, this gal was her first time to a meeting, and they did their classroom time. They transitioned to the range, and the leader noticed that, this gal was missing. You know, she, she didn't make it out to the range, and so they didn't know where she went, and the leader found her in the women's room, just you know, hysterical, just overcome, you know, crying and sobbing, and the story, what, what this woman was overcoming in her own world was that as a child, she had a, a pretty abusive father, but he would stand her against the wall and lift his rifle and aim it at her and dry fire. You know, it wasn't loaded, but she didn't know that. And, and he would torture her through that. So, so she, when she, when it was time for her to go onto the range, she couldn't, I mean, she just couldn't do it. You know, she was so overcome with kind of that emotion and the flashbacks of, of the trauma of that, of what that felt like. And, you know, with, with, a lot of caring and tenderness. Uh, they, the leader got her out onto the range and she 
she she was transformed. I mean, she got over that and, and overcame that. And uh, I mean, so there's stories like that where, you know, we don't know. You know, you don't know who's coming into that meeting or into that range, what they're what they've experienced in the past. But I mean, I just can't imagine as a, as an eight year old being, you know, put up against a wall, you know, and having an abusive father pointing a gun at me and pulling the trigger, you know, what that would be like. That's horrific. But, um, and we have uh, another woman who was raped twice. She had survived two rapes. And, um, so for her, to not feel like a victim anymore, to, to become empowered and trained to not ever, ever let that happen to her again is huge. It's absolutely huge because uh, you know, surviving one, one rape would be unbearable. And then to have that happen twice and, and to just be able to find the way to not only survive those things and then be able to have the tools and the training and the confidence to say that will never ever happen to me again is that's trans that's transforming that I mean you can imagine how that is so there's there's a lot of stories like that and there's probably stories that we'll never know but that these women personally have have overcome and I guess you're not going to get that in an open setting, you have to be with people that you can trust, that you can share with. Yeah, and I think that's 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 part of the beauty of what we do is it does create that sisterhood. And when you you know when you look at the relationships between all of our chapter leaders and the relationships that they have with their membership, it is a safe place. You know, it truly is, and they're with other women who can relate and where they can be comfortable to work through whatever they're working through. You know, it could even be just, you know, the, the, the fear of the gun itself, you know, that, that it could go off on its own or something. There's, there's some real fears that, that I think women overcome. And to be able to do that amongst sisters and people that understand you as a woman is, is a significant difference. Because in the typical training situation or in the range kind of with the guys, that's not a safe place. You know, you can't. You can't work through the same things in that kind of setting. I got that. Yeah. The church normally isn't that supportive of a pro Second Amendment person. Have you found that too? Um. No. No. I think. Uh, I think that's changing some Ge- geographically. Maybe. Maybe it might be because I'm in the Southwest and so it's a little more common, you know, but, but where you are, I'm sure that maybe that is a lot, a lot tougher of a challenge. But, uh, you know, I think, I think as shepherds, you know, we're, we're stewards of everything we're given and that includes our lives and our bodies. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a believer that, that, uh, that it is our, it is our duty to protect ourselves. And, uh, you know, there's the thou shalt not kill, and, and really what that is is thou shalt not murder, and I think that's different, and I think that, uh, you know, on the spiritual level, I think that, that, that a lot of people, there, there's a little bit of confusion maybe in the church in, in understanding what the role is as the shepherds, you know, of the flock, and um, are you familiar with the sheepdog seminars, Ken? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I mean that that program is a phenomenal program. Have you ever been to one of their seminars? No. Yeah, but the, and that's that's part of what they do is is educate the church on on the, on how to best protect their flock. And um, you know, it may or may not be firearms. It may just be situational awareness, and you have another action plan. But working with churches to to provide the security in their houses of worship because it you know churches. Churches are targets too, so. That's the one done by uh, Mr. Grossman, right? Yes, yes. Actually, I just heard from him yesterday. He's going to be attending our national leadership conference and putting on a seminar for all of our chapter leaders and our instructors this fall. So I'm really, really excited about that. The, the Women's Gun Show is pretty new, but you guys are doing great. What, what do you think so far? 
Oh, I love it. And it was funny. I was the reluctant one because Barbara had asked. I'm like, no, I don't know. I don't know if I want to do it. And now it is my favorite thing to do. <laughs> so I absolutely love it. I hope, <laughs> I hope the listeners love it as much as, as, much as we do. But um, we really enjoy it. And we, and we get to talk with some great people and you know, hit on some important topics and, and things. I, I, hope, I hope listeners enjoy it. I, I, I thoroughly do. And I, I love working with Barbara. I love working with you. You make us sound good all the time, and uh, but I, I, I'm having a blast. Oh, good stuff. Thank you. Mm-hmm. The Well-Armed Woman, Carrie Lightfoot. How can we find you online? Uh, you can find me at thewellarmedwoman.com, and the Shooting Chapter Program is a 501c3 nonprofit, so that has its own website, which is twawshootingchapters.org. But again, everything you can get everywhere from the Well-Armed Woman website and then on Facebook and Twitter, and I'm everywhere. LinkedIn, Instagram, Pinterest, we're everywhere. You can't get away from us, Ken. We're everywhere. <laughs> Good stuff. Thank, <laughs> thank you, my sister. Anything that I didn't ask you that I should have threw in here before we, I let you go? Oh, I don't, I don't think so. I'm just, yeah, I'm just grateful. I'm just so grateful to all the women out there who were kind of breaking down some barriers and changing the industry and, and bringing women to a whole new level of respect and honor uh, in the industry. And I'm thrilled to be a part of it every day. I'm a very, very blessed woman, and just keep it coming. All right, good deal. Carrie Lightfoot from The Well-Armed Woman. Thank you for being a part of the show this week. You bet. Thank you, Ken. Hi. I want to invite you to consider supporting this podcast created especially for you with a monthly donation. Every little bit helps, and with your support, our friend and brother from another mother can go on and grow this show even better. To pledge your support, go to patreon.com forward slash black man with a gun. Thank you. And Michael, it's your turn, brother. Thank you, Ken, and welcome to another Tips and Review segment. I am Michael Woodland of m-wtactical.com, and today we're going to discuss selecting a range for your enjoyment. We have been discussing various topics around the firearm, but it will not be right if we do not talk about a place where you can go shoot safely. Since my adventure in the sport of shooting, I have been a member at various ranges. Some ranges better than others, but the bottom line is to just get your trigger time in. There can be multiple reasons you look for a range, and whatever the reason, go forth with it. For me, I look for a place where I can practice and run different drills and if they hold shooting matches. The shooting club I just joined in South Carolina hosts almost every form of shooting there is out there, but this may be a reason for me to stretch my limits past USPSA and long range. Some of these ranges that have memberships do a multitude of activities like giving monthly safety classes, women-only classes, classes for children of certain ages, and a host of fundraisers for the community. Bottom line, if you ask me, you can take the family out to the range and everyone has a fun time bonding more with some safe trigger time. If you are unaware or do not know of a shooting range in your vicinity, do a quick look online by searching in your area. If your city, county, or parish does not have a range, do a look up for the nearest range and give them a call and ask about membership and what they have to offer with it. You never know. You might look over one day and see me shooting next to you. Tune in next week as we tackle another area of marksmanship for another tips and review segment. Thank you for all those who follow and support the M-W Tactical Facebook page. If you haven't done so, look us up on Facebook and hit the like button and join in on the many discussions that are taking place. If you are more into photos, follow me on Instagram at mjwoodland where you can get an up-close and personal involvement of my daily life and involvement at a shooting range. If you would like to read more about us, do so by going to www.m-wtactical.com, where you can easily connect with us on any of the previously mentioned social platforms while looking at pictures, viewing future classes, emailing us, or even listening to the current week of the Black Man with a Gun podcast. For those who want a more direct approach, Just call us at 803-250-1256 and 
let's discuss whatever is on your mind from shooting classes or just inviting us out to come to your upcoming event. Until next week, keep shooting, keep practicing, and have fun. Back to you, Ken. Thank you, Big Mike. I want to share with you, in case you didn't know, that I revised a book that I wrote in 1999 and had this one published by White Feather Press called Black Man with a Gun Reloaded. It's a behind-the-scenes perspective of my life as a gun rights activist since 1991. It's a personal, candid, and honest about how I got here story, how I've been influenced by and some of the characters in this community. It also concludes with a glossary of terms and things every gun person should know, and it'll help new people in our community. Go to Amazon.com today and order a copy for yourself. I'm trying to break even with this thing and need to sell about 100 more copies. If you don't have one or could afford a new one, go to book.blackmanwithagun.com and the link will take you right there. Today is one of those days where I wish I could restore myself to the factory settings. Well, that's it for this week. I want to thank you for joining me. And if you liked what you heard, please tell somebody. Dr. Martin Luther King said, We've learned to fly the air like birds. We've learned to swim the seas like fish. And yet we haven't learned to walk the earth as brothers and sisters. Until next week, just in case nobody has told you this today. I love you. And there's not a darn thing you can do about it. Shalom, baby. This show is part of the Gun Podcast Network. Oh, cheese fries. I forgot something. I was supposed to let you know that I created another podcast. It's called Warrior Cast. You can find it at warriorcast.com. If you want to go right to the iTunes link, it's podcast.warriorcast.com. It's about fitness, fighting, and some of the most interesting people I've met in the last couple of months. It's a new podcast. Let me know what you think. Warriorcast.com. Thanks.